Hey folks, Andy Patton here to preview Gonzaga's game against the San Diego Toreros on Thursday night. Also going to discuss two teams, Kansas and Kentucky, who could challenge the Zags this year, continuing a segment we did earlier this week. And I'm going to make some WCC predictions for the games on Thursday and Saturday, all right here on the Locked on Zags podcast. Don't go away. You are Locked on Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Tags Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to take you through another season of Gonzaga Hoops. I want to thank all of you who make this podcast your first listen of the day, and for those of you who have checked out the show on YouTube, we hit 300 subscribers, which is an incredible accomplishment. Thank you to every single one of you who has hit that subscribe button on YouTube. I would love to be at 500 by the time the Zags tip off in the national championship game in April. I'm extremely confident that we can get there. If you are a listener to the show, and I know that you are because you're listening to this right now, go to youtube.com, search Locked on Zags, hit that subscribe button. I sincerely appreciate it. All right, today, first segment, we're going to look at the Toreros of San Diego, one of the West Coast Conference teams that we have yet to play this year as Gonzaga. So I'm excited to kind of take a look at this team. Sam Scholl's got this group doing pretty well this year. This is a They're similar to Portland in the sense that it's a very, very new roster, not nearly as new as Portland's roster. It's difficult for any team to be that new. Portland overhauled basically everybody on their team. But this is still a group with a lot of transfers, a lot of new talent coming in. They also lost a lot of talent in the transfer portal, including Masalski, the big man for San Francisco, who's having an incredible season, was a former USD Torero, so it's a bummer that he is not with that team anymore. Uh, but this this team has been has been good. They're 13-9 on the year. Like I said, they are 6-3 and three in conference play, a nice sparkly in-conference record. Uh, that's in part because, obviously, they have yet to play Gonzaga. Their three losses are, as you would expect, to BYU, to Santa Clara, and to San Francisco, three of the better teams in the conference. Their wins are over UP, Pacific, LMU twice, and Pepperdine twice. So they have had the advantage of being able to beat up on the not-so-good teams in the conference while losing to the better teams in the conference, putting San Francisco Square, or excuse me, San Diego squarely in the middle of the WCC, which is kind of a spot they have resided for quite a while now. They were kind of down lower in the cellar, one of the worst, or close to the cellar of the, of the WCC. Now they're kind of up towards the middle. So kudos to Sam Scholl, kudos to this team for making some waves. Uh, Last year was an unfortunate year in the sense that they were one of the most impacted teams by COVID-19. They played very, very few games. They had some cancellations early this year as well. But right now, obviously 21 games under their belt. So they are doing better than a lot of other teams that actually get in their games played. Hopefully they will, as we hope for all of the teams in the WCC, they will be able to make up any games that they have missed up to this point. Uh, looking at their non-conference slate, uh, they lost to UNLV, to Fresno State, uh, and then and to Cal. And then they also lost a couple of Big West games to CSUN, Cal State Northridge, and Cal State Fullerton. Uh, they do have a pretty nice win over the Wolfpack of Nevada, a team that really struggled out of the gate this year and lost a bunch of games to the WCC in non-conference play. Has since rebounded and looked like a pretty decent team 
in the Mountain West. They're not going to be a tournament team by any stretch of the imagination, but a decent team, so a win that actually looks pretty good for Sam Scholl and the USD Toreros. They also defeated Riverside and Cal Poly, but other than that, not really a lot of signature wins. Again, a team that is pretty average and has beaten the teams that are worse than them and has lost to the teams that are better than them. They have generally been pretty predictable this season. Ken Palm has them 163rd, which is slightly above the exact middle point for all Division I basketball teams. So when I say average, I quite literally mean they are an average basketball team. They are far better on the defensive end than they are offensively. Ken Palm rates this team as the 232nd offense in the country, which is well below average. They are scoring under 69 points per game. It's not a horrible efficiency, 44% overall from the field and just under 35% from three. So that's not terrible. It's not like they're bricking a whole ton of shots. The problem is they're not super efficient and they play at a very slow tempo. Their tempo, according to Ken Palm, 298th in the country. Randy Bennett would be proud of the way that Sam Scholl is leading this team in San Diego. But the problem, and we've talked about this at length with Randy Bennett's squad, is when you play a really slow tempo, when you take a long time on offense and you try to take a long time or make the other team take a long time when they have the basketball in their hands, you are relying on being super, super efficient in order to win. Randy Bennett's team needs to shoot very well from the outside. They need to get a lot of easy buckets. They need to convert well at the free throw line for them to win. On teams when they had highly efficient players like Jock Landale, like Emmett Nahr, like Jordan Ford even, those teams had success. But when you don't have a lot of efficiency, it's a challenge. And that's what we've seen with the San Diego team. They can play at this slow pace, but if they don't convert a high rate of their shots, they lose a lot of games like 61 to 57 or something like that, where you you can do a great job of holding the other team to a lower point total, but it doesn't matter if you can't convert on your shots as well. They're also not a good passing team. This is a big weakness for this team as a, as a unit. They're averaging just under 11 assists per game while also averaging 12.5 turnovers per game. So their team's assist to turnover ratio is under 1 to 1. That is never what you want, especially going up against the team with the length and athleticism and physicality on the defensive end that Gonzaga has. Speaking of defense, this is where San Diego is more successful. Ken Palm, they are rated 109th, so a borderline top 100 defensive team in the country. Down in San Diego, they only allow 64 points per game. They held both BYU and Santa Clara under 80 points, but they did give up 80 points to UNLV, and they gave up 88 points to San Francisco. So I don't know that they're necessarily a huge threat to prevent Gonzaga from getting up over 90 or even up into the 100 points range. But this is one of the better defensive teams in the WCC, so if there is a non top four team that's going to hold Gonzaga to under 100 points. It's probably going to be the Toreros, but again, if they have trouble holding on to the basketball, if they commit a lot of turnovers against this defense, that's going to lead to fast breaks, to transition buckets, and if Gonzaga continues to shoot the three the way that they have lately, then that 100-point marker may not be too difficult for them to get to. Players to watch. For this team, again, a team we haven't seen much yet uh, as Gonzaga fans, unless we've watched some of their non-conference or some of their non-Gonzaga games. Uh, St. John's transfer Marcellus Erlington is their best player. He's averaging 13.5 points, about seven rebounds, and about three and a half assists 
per game. Uh, he's kind of an Eli Scott type player. He's like a point forward at 6'6". They run the offense through him a lot. Uh, he's undersized, obviously, as this kind of power forward role. Most of the WCC has undersized fours and fives. That's kind of just part of the deal. If you're in the West Coast Conference, you're not usually getting those big, beefy dudes. But again, 6'6", sturdy guy, seven rebounds per game. He's also shooting a 35% from three, so he can stretch the floor a little bit, which presents some slight matchup issues depending on whether Gonzaga wants to put Drew Timmy on him, which forces him to be away from the basketball, or Chet Holmgren, who is probably more capable of defending him, but then is pulled away from the rim, which is where he does his best damage. Will probably be a big assignment for Anton Watson uh, when he is in the game, and potentially Julian Strother as well, because he can match up with him size-wise. Beyond that, Jace Townsend, transfer from Denver University, shooting 42% from three, so he's a player to watch around the perimeter. And then one of their most notable returners, Joey Calcaterra, who's been one of their better players for the last couple of seasons. He's back. He's having a good year, 9.3 points per game. And then there's size. We talk about size with every one of these teams. Obviously, most of these teams do not have the size to hang with Gonzaga. There are not a lot of teams in the country that have the size to hang with Gonzaga, so there's no shame in that. Their biggest player is a graduate transfer from Pitt. His name is Terrell Brown. He is six foot ten. He is averaging nine points, seven rebounds, and two and a half blocks per game. So he's going to be a bit of a load, more so than a lot of other players that Gonzaga's run into in the WCC. He's going to push people around a little bit. He's going to get a few blocks. He's going to make Drew Timmy and Chet Holmgren uncomfortable. I don't think he's ultimately enough of a rim protector to to really prevent Gonzaga from getting their buckets down low, but he's going to be more of a challenge than a lot of the players Gonzaga has faced, and that's a good thing. We want them to face more challenging big men as much as they possibly can before they get into the NCAA tournament. All right, that is a quick primer on the Toreros of San Diego. In the second segment, I'm going to discuss two more teams. For those of you who listened last yesterday, I discussed four teams, Auburn, Purdue, Baylor and Arizona, who I think have a good chance of upsetting the Zags if things go their way. Two more teams I wanted to talk about today, the Kentucky Wildcats and the Kansas Jayhawks. We're going to get to that in the second segment. Before we do, though, let's talk about Bill Barr. It's the new year, so that means New Year's resolutions. If yours is about getting fit or eating healthier, make sure to include Bilt Bar in your plan. Bilt Bar is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar, maybe even better than a candy bar. Bilt Bar makes it easier to stick to your resolutions because it tastes so good you'll want to eat it, unlike other protein bars which can be chalky or waxy or taste like a chemical spill. You want to eat healthy, but it just gets so boring. By now you might be thinking, this is just not worth it. Where's the chocolate? But Bilt Bars are covered in 100% real chocolate. In fact, here's an idea for the new year. Go to all your secret treat stashes at home, in the pantry, in the office, the car, wherever. Throw out all of the sugary or calorie-filled treats and replace them with Bilt Bars. So when you're craving a snack or a treat, you can reach for something healthy that tastes incredible. Go to Bilt.com and use promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your order. That's Bilt.com, promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off your next order at Bilt Bar. All right, Andy Patton here to introduce our sponsor, Homefield. Homefield, for those of you who missed the epic launch a few weeks ago on Twitter, Homefield is a premium collegiate apparel brand 
based in Indianapolis. They offer incredibly comfortable, officially licensed apparel with vintage college designs. They kicked off Big New Saturday Season 3. They launched a new school on their site every Saturday for eight weeks straight. Gonzaga was Week 2. They launched their Gonzaga collection on January 29th. They went through the archives and history of Gonzaga to find unique logos, mascots, and moments to make thoughtful designs for the school. I got a couple pieces ahead of time. I'm rocking one right now for those of you on YouTube. It's a Defend the Kennel shirt. They have Captain Zag. They have Teddy Gonzaga. They have shirts that say True Blue and White on them. An incredible collection of t-shirts. And I mean it when we talk about the comfort. This is the most comfortable t-shirt I've ever worn in my life. I mean that very genuinely. It's so comfortable. They fit really well. They're very long, so they have a slimming effect as well. They got t-shirts. They have hoodies. They have crew necks. All vintage, all great designs. Really cool company. You need to get this Gonzaga gear before March Madness. And if you want to do so, new customers get 15% off their first purchase from Homefield using the code LOCKEDONZAGS at checkout. That's LOCKEDONZAGS at HomefieldApparel.com for 15% off. All right, segment two, still Andy Patton, still Locked On Zags. We're going through two more teams Last week, we covered Auburn, Purdue, Baylor, and Arizona, four teams that I think have the matchup ability to give Gonzaga some trouble. I think this is a good year for Gonzaga to potentially win it all. Of course, we always think that, but this is a year where there's not a clear one and two like there were last year between Gonzaga and Baylor. There's a handful of other teams, potentially not number one seed teams, that could make a serious run in March, potentially play in a national title game. I want to talk about two other teams today, uh, two legitimate Blue Bloods, teams that are always in that conversation as some of the best in the country year in and year out. We're going to start with Calipari's Kentucky squad, the team that is currently ranked number two in Ken Palm behind the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Kentucky is 17-4 and four on the season. They have three not-too-bad losses. They lost to Auburn, they lost to LSU, and they lost to Duke. They have one bad loss. That is to the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame, a team that is now on squarely on or even off of the bubble for the NCAA tournament. The Auburn game was a particularly interesting one. They lost by nine, but ultimately were, were winning that game before Ty Ty Washington, their star freshman point guard, got injured, left, did not play for the rest of the game. Auburn managed to make a comeback. A lot of people believe that Kentucky would have won that game had Ty Ty Washington stayed healthy. Obviously not something we can know definitively. It did seem like Kentucky was playing some pretty dang good basketball and was on their road to a quote-unquote upset. Both these teams are very highly rated, so not sure it would have been much of an upset, but of course Auburn did pull off the victory, kept their number one spot in the AP poll because of that, although the loss of Ty Ty Washington clearly had a big impact. Uh, in terms of wins for Kentucky, they have wins over Tennessee, they have a win over Kansas, they have a win over North Carolina, and Texas A&M. So this is a good team with a lot of quality wins. Uh, they've been a good team for a very long time. That is obviously not a surprise to us. The pros for this team, they're elite offensively. Ken Palm offensively ranks them number three in the country. So one of the best offenses in the entire country. They're scoring over 82 points per game on just under 50% from the field. Like I said, very efficient. Get down the floor fast. Get buckets easily. 56% on two-pointers. 
They have a player of the year candidate on this team in Oscar Schwebwe. He is averaging 16 points, 15 rebounds, just under two steals per game, and shooting 61.5% from the field. A six foot nine wing who can do a little bit of everything is finally starting to get recognition for how good he has been this season. He would be a menace for Gonzaga to handle. He, they would probably have to put Drew Timmy on him, play Drew Timmy away from the rim. That would be a huge challenge. Now, he's not an outside shooter at all, has not taken a three-pointer this year, so that helps a little bit in allowing Drew Timmy to not necessarily have to play super far away from the ball, but he still can do a lot of different things with the basketball, and it's going to be a would be a really big challenge for Gonzaga to defend. They also obviously have great guard play, notably Ty Ty Washington, who we spoke about earlier, one of the best point guards in the entire country, a likely lottery pick in the 2022 NBA draft. He's averaging 14 points, four and a half assists, four rebounds per game, shooting 37% from downtown. They also have shooters to surround their not great shooters. Uh, Kellen Grady is one of them, 12 points on 44% shooting from beyond the arc. The cons for this team, they're a good defensive team, but they are not an elite defensive team. Uh, They have some shot blocking ability, but ultimately not a lot of rim protection on this team. I think big, big teams like Gonzaga, like Purdue, like Auburn match up well with this team. You obviously we saw Auburn secure a victory against this team in part because of their low post presences. Gonzaga clearly has that in waves. Uh, nobody on this roster is above 6'9". Like not not just though they have a couple big guys, but they don't play. No, There's nobody on the team that is taller than 6'9". That is a huge advantage Gonzaga has. Drew Timmy, Chet Holmgren should score in the paint a lot on this team. They give up about 50% on two-point shots. That's that's not bad for a not very big team, but Gonzaga should be able to exploit those matchups. They're a good defensive team on the perimeter. Only about 30% of their opposing three-point shots go in, but I think Gonzaga would be able to take advantage of the size disparity in the paint. Uh, again, similar to what Auburn was able to do against this team when they dropped 80 on them. Next up, the Jayhawks, Rock Talk, Rock Chalk Jayhawk of Kansas. I did a poll on Twitter to see which team you guys wanted me to talk about here. It was between Kansas, Villanova, Houston. Hopefully, as the season goes on, I'll get more opportunities to talk about some of these teams. I think, you know, it's nice to kind of learn about some of the opponents that Gonzaga might play late into the NCAA tournament. I know not everybody watches as many college basketball games as they can, uh, so it's kind of nice to get some primers on some of these teams. Kansas is, of course, a team that Gonzaga could always run into basically every single season because they always do a lot of good work in the NCAA tournament. They are 11th in the Ken Palm ratings right now. They are 17-3 and on the season. Their losses are to Texas Tech, Kentucky, which we talked about already. Kentucky blew the doors off them pretty badly recently. And they have a not-so-good loss early in the season to Dayton, the Flyers. They also have a win over Texas Tech, so they managed to split with the Red Raiders. They have two wins over Iowa State, a ranked team as well, and they got an early season victory over the Spartans of Michigan State. Uh, The pros for this team, very similar. They're really elite offensively. In fact, Ken Palm has them number four. So Purdue's one, Gonzaga's two, Kentucky is three, Kansas is four. In terms of the most elite offenses in the country, they average 80 points per game. They shoot it really well. 49% from the field, 55.5% on twos, and 36.5% on threes. This is a highly efficient scoring offense. They dropped 94 points on Texas Tech, 94 points. 
on tech. I know Gonzaga fans are used to hearing 100, and we know that we can get up over 100 points. This was against Texas Tech. Gonzaga did not drop 94 on Texas Tech. That is a ridiculous number to put up on a defense that good. Uh, this team has a really, really talented National Player of the Year frontrunner in Oche Agbaji. Agbaji is having an incredible season. He is a problem for Gonzaga matchup-wise. Six-foot-five wing, averaging 21 per game, 56% on twos, 46% on threes. I, I genuinely do not know how Gonzaga would guard him. I do not know. They might put Julian Strother on him and just accept that he's going to get buckets. That's not a slight on Julian. He's just really, really good. They might try Anton Watson on him and have Watson just play a lot of minutes that game. They could try Chet Holmgren on him, but that pulls Chet well well away from the rim, which is a disadvantage for the Zags in general. So I, they're going to have they'd have a they'd have a load. They'd have a big challenge here. He can score every which way. He does it every single game. He's a huge mismatch. For Gonzaga, you put Agbaji alongside Christian Braun, who is their one of their other starting guards. Braun is six six, and Agbaji is six five. That kind of length is really disruptive for the Zags. Braun is a very good high scoring guard as well, fifteen point six rebounds per game. Defensively, those two guys, the length and the physicality that they provide, would be a problem for Gonzaga. The cons for this Kansas team, though, despite having that length, they're they're only an average defensive team. Ken Palm has them 51st in defense, so that's good. They're not a bad defensive team, but for an elite Final Four caliber team, you want to have a better defense than 51st in the country. They also have virtually no rim protection. That is going to be a problem against Gonzaga. Braun is averaging 1.1 1 1. 1 blocks per game. He's leading the team. Again, this is their six foot six combo guard, Christian Braun, leading the team in blocks per game. So they're going to have an issue defensively. I think Jalen Wilson, who's a top top ranked prospect, six foot eight, two hundred and fifteen four pound forward, he's going to need to guard either Chet or Drew all game long. And whatever player he is guarding is just going to be a mismatch. He's not very big. He's not super long. He's talented. I'm not trying to dunk on the guy, but he's going to have a his hands full with either Chet or Drew. And I think Gonzaga can exploit those matchups there without a lot of rim protection down low. For the Jayhawks, finally, the last con for them. They're not a great free throw shooting team. 71% from the free throw line. Their star player, Egbaji, shoots under 60, or excuse me, under 70%. He's about 69% on the, at the free throw line. So that is a potential opportunity for Gonzaga to steal some points that way if they can potentially get down to a close game with them, foul them a little bit at the end of the game, and make them convert from the charity stripe. All right, third segment, we're going to look at the other WCC games that are on the docket this week. Make some predictions. Before we get there, though, let's talk about Bet Online. There might be less football being played, but BetOnline.net has way more stuff to bet on this playoff season. From scores, totals, and player performance props to where the next fired coach is going to land, BetOnline is the number one spot for all things NFL betting in 2022. And it's not just football. BetOnline.net's basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC odds coverage is the best in the business. From sports right down to your favorite Vegas casino games, BetOnline is your number one online wagering destination. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all of your favorite sports and play your favorite games. BetOnline, where the game starts. Alright, segment three, still Andy Patton, still Locked on Zags, pivoting away from talking about some of the best teams in the country and what they could do if they were to play Gonzaga. 
Instead, we're going to finish this week or this Wednesday out as we have the last couple of Wednesdays, making predictions for the upcoming WCC slate. We're going to start with the four games on Thursday. I went 3-1 and one last week. I am now 8-1 and one all-time on Thursday game predictions. Right now, LMU at Santa Clara is the big game, or is one of the games that's going on. LMU just hasn't impressed me. They just they have not looked good. Santa, Santa Clara is playing some of the best basketball they have played of the season. At home for the Broncos, I'm taking Santa Clara in that one. Then next, we do have the big game of the week. That is USF and BYU. A monstrous game for bubble implications. Whichever team does not win this game is going to have a much, much more difficult time getting into the NCAA tournament. It could potentially be a death sentence for either of these teams or a really, really difficult loss to come back from. I'm picking USF. I'm picking USF to win this one. They lost by two the last time these two teams played on a desperation three from Jamari Bowie that fell just short. That was, of course, at War Memorial. This game is at the Marriott Center in Provo, Utah. To pick USF to win this game on the road is tricky. I'm taking it. I think USF, it's their destiny to make the NCAA tournament this year. This win is a huge boost for them. BYU is not playing good basketball right now. They are really struggling. They haven't found their identity after losing their big men. Alex Barcelo is being relied upon way too much. And I think USF, with with Masalski down low, he's going to load. He's going to be difficult for BYU to defend. Bouye is not going to let this team lose again to the Cougars. I think San Francisco takes this one on the road. Next up, Pepperdine at Pacific. I think I'm going to take the Tigers here. Uh, coming off a nice win against BYU, of course. Uh, Pacific hasn't been a particularly great team this season, but Pepperdine has been worse, and Pacific is at home. So I think I'm going to take the home team for this one. And then the final game on Thursday, St. Mary's at Portland. Wish I was going to that game. Was thinking about trying to find a way to make it out there, but unfortunately doesn't look like I'm going to do so. Uh, I don't think Portland can pull off a win at home against St. Mary's. The St. Mary's team is too good in the in the paint scoring wise too good defensively I, I think St. Mary's is going to win that one and then moving on to Saturday I was three and one last week almost perfect on Saturday's BYU losing to Pacific of course was not the game that I had predicted for that one um, Santa Clara at San Diego is the first game on Saturday I think the Toreros go winless this week. They're not going to beat the Zags on Thursday, and I don't think they're going to beat the Broncos even at home. Santa Clara is just rolling right now, and I think they're going to secure a victory there. Next up, Pacific at Pepperdine. A rematch just two days later. These two teams are playing each other literally two days apart uh, at different home venues, so I'm just going to split it, and I'm going to take the home team for each of them. Pacific's winning on Thursday at home. Pepperdine is winning on Saturday at home two days later. I think these two teams are fairly evenly matched. Neither of them are particularly good so I will take them at their home venues next up Portland at San Francisco USF at home against a not very good pilots team that is a win this is going to be a rough week for Shantae Leggins and the Portland Pilots playing St. Mary's and San Francisco. And then the final game of the weekend, LMU at St. Mary's. Again, the Lions not playing good basketball right now. St. Mary's is rolling right now. Their, their offense is clicking in a way that it has not clicked all season long. I think St. Mary's is going to take this one as well. All right, that is going to do it for me today. I can't wait to chat with you all on Twitter Thursday night during the game. It's going to be a fun one against the Toreros of San Diego. We'll have one more show before then to preview the San Francisco, excuse me, San Diego yet again and take a look at some hot takes for Andy Locks. We'll also, of course, have post-game reactions after that game as well right here on the Locked on Zags podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts. 
also available on YouTube. Check it out, youtube.com, search Locked On Zags, hit that subscribe button. Finally, thank you again to those of you who have made this podcast your first listen of the day. Now is a great time to make your second listen of the day, the Locked On Bets podcast. Locked On Bets is your daily one-stop shop for all of your sports gambling needs. Locked On Bets is hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. Thank you all for listening, and go Zags!